Welcome back to Tales of Southwest Michigan's Past. I am your host, Michael Delaware, and today we're going to explore the time of Al Capone and his visits to Michigan. Now, to really begin to understand this story, we must first take a look at who Al Capone was. I mean, he was born Alphonse Capone, January 17th, 1899, to his parents, Gabriel Capone and Teresa Raioli in Brooklyn, New York. His parents were immigrants from Italy. His father was a barber and his mother was a seamstress. He became involved with small-time gangs, including the Junior 40 Thieves and the Bowery Boys, while living in New York and continued on till eventually joining more powerful Five Points gang based out of Lower Manhattan. He was mentored by racketeers and worked the saloons and dance halls. One time, while working a door at one of these places, Capone inadvertently insulted a woman and was slashed with a knife three times on the left side of his face by her brother, Frank Galuccio. The wounds led to his nickname, Scarface, which Capone wasn't very fond of. Now, his story is a long one, but eventually he followed his career path in crime, as you may want to say, and wound up in Chicago and became the top crime boss, gangster, and bootlegger and racketeer in the city at the age of 26 after the previous crime lord passed the reins to him following an incident where he had been shot. And that man's name was Johnny Torrio, and he had uh, been the crime boss up until the point when Capone arrived and handed the reins over to Capone in 1925. Now, the years of prohibition in the United States was from 1920 to 1933. And this was a time period where the manufacture, storage, transportation, sale, possession, and consumption of alcohol was entirely banned. And it's often regarded now as the time of Al Capone. He came into power five years into Prohibition and stayed there almost all the way to the end. Prohibition ended in 1933, and Al Capone had been sent to prison in 1932. But we'll go more into that in a little bit here. So nevertheless, he became the crime boss, gangster, bootlegger, and racketeer in the city of Chicago, and he supported corrupt politicians And he was also believed to be responsible for the Valentine's Day Massacre, despite being in his Florida home at the time when it occurred. The Valentine's Day Massacre was an attempt to eliminate Bugs Moran, the head of the Irish Northside Gang, and it was an incident when seven members of that gang were killed. They were all lined up against a wall and shot by four unknown gunmen, two of them dressed as police officers, on February 14, 1929. And to this day, they still haven't identified who the four shooters were. So following this Valentine's Day massacre incident, the newly elected Hoover administration launched a multi-agency attack on Al Capone, looking at the city of Chicago as being entirely sold out to the crime syndicate and that even the politicians all the way down to the police chief were on the payroll. So they decided to do some sort of federal intervention. And they combined a task force of the Treasury and Justice Department to form an elite squad of Prohibition Bureau agents, which included the famous Elliot Ness. So if you want to find more out about this period, there's a great movie out there 
called The Untouchables, which is fairly accurate of the time period and very entertaining to watch if you haven't taken time to see that film. And the result of this task force was that Al Capone was eventually charged and prosecuted and sent to prison where he was sent to Alcatraz in May of 1932, and the charges were on tax evasion. Consequently, he was ultimately paroled in November of 1939 after his wife appealed the court for his release based on his reduced mental capabilities from advanced neurosyphilis. He apparently was pretty sick at that point. He did continue to live for almost a decade afterwards, there's a Battle Creek Inquirer news article dated January 22nd, 1947, which had the title Al Capone ex-gangland SAR gains after suffering stroke. The article describes a stroke that Al Capone had suffered and was unconscious for 14 hours in Florida. He'd apparently seemed to be recovering at this point when the article was released, but he would eventually pass away on January 30th, 1947 in Miami Beach. So that's kind of the whole quick synopsis of Al Capone's life and his time as a crime lord. But during his time as the crime boss in Chicago, which only lasted for about seven years, when he was handed control of the organization in 1925 at the age of 26, as I mentioned before, by the previous crime boss, Johnny Torrio. Johnny Torrio had been shot, and after he had recovered, he said, you know what, I'm done with this. You take over, Al. It's in your hands. And so Al took over and took control of that, and he remained in control of the Chicago racketeering and bootlegging and all sorts of other criminal activity um, until he was eventually sent to prison in 1932. So with the proximity of Chicago being close to Michigan and Wisconsin, it's not surprising that there are stories in both states of visits from the crime boss during his reign. So I began to do some research onto this, and numerous articles mention the story of Oakland Hills Golf Club. And so we'll begin there. And this was a golf club that was located in Battle Creek on Emmett Township on H Drive. And the facility was founded by George Velo Nicolau in 1973. And it was established on an old farm, and there was an old farm building that was on the property that had been built in 1862. And he operated this golf course with his two sons. And the 1862 farmhouse had a very storied past. And at one time, it served as a stopover point for fugitive slaves in the Underground Railroad. And during the Prohibition era, served as a halfway house for Al Capone, where he ran his illegal monies and wares and did his exchanges of alcohol along the route between Detroit and Chicago. Unfortunately, the Oakland Hills Golf Club closed, I think, in 2021 after 50 years of being open. Another article that I came across in the Battle Creek Inquirer dated October 3rd, 1983, and it's an interesting article on the Bay Point Restaurant in Hastings. This building that this restaurant is in is in an elegant mansion on the southwest side of Gun Lake, and it had been converted into a restaurant, and it had a very interesting history as well. The history of the building includes an Al Capone story, and Al Capone, during the Prohibition years, used to live across the bay of this 1902 building, and this building where the Bay Point restaurant was housed 
had been a house of ill repute in those days, housing the prostitutes probably run by Al Capone's crime syndicate. Capone was said to drive out onto the frozen lake with his friends and make bets on whose car would fall through the ice first. According to the owner of the Bay Point restaurant, Jackie Martin, there were cars at the bottom of the lake to prove it. She also recounted in this article that the house, when they purchased it to remodel it into a restaurant, had many pink walls because that was the decor of the original brothel, which is kind of an interesting history there. Another article I came across was in the Battle Creek Inquirer in September 3rd, 2009, and it was an obituary of a woman named Rosalie Veniance. And in this obituary, there's a mention of Al Capone. Rosalie, also known as Rose to those who knew her, loved to tell stories of her life on the farm during the Great Depression. And when she finally left the farm during the Great Depression in 1928, she went to work at a 5 and 10 store and also the Vincent Coffee Cafe in downtown Benton Harbor. And I guess this cafe was in the lobby of the St. Vincent Hotel. And it was during this time that she met the gangster Al Capone. And what she remembered about him was that he was a good tipper. So I thought that was a little interesting. And then in a 2019 article that ran on August 1st, written by Diana Stampfler for the Michigan Blue Magazine, the author of this article discusses the stories of Al Capone coming to Michigan. And she did quite a bit of research on that. So I'm just going to kind of give you the highlights of some of the points that she mentions. Some of them are in southwest Michigan, but some of them are in other parts of the state. Al Capone was often known to escape the heat of Chicago and venture into Michigan, and sometimes going as far north as the Upper Peninsula. And so one of the stories in this article was in the early 1900s, a man named John Aylesworth built a resort called Pleasant Grove, known today as the Lakeside Inn, in an area collectively known as Harbor Country in Lakeside, Michigan. Bootleggers were said to dock their boats in front of the inn, and guests would often help unload the cases of booze to get served inside or hauled off for sale elsewhere. During the Prohibition era, the inn operated as a speakeasy and was visited by Al Capone, according to a report by the Michigan State Historic Preservation Office. So that's an interesting tidbit from Lakeside, Michigan. And then in 1888, Chicago photographer Joshua Smith bought a 12-acre parcel along Lake Michigan near South Haven and developed it into the Sleepy Hollow Resort. Before long after opening, he was welcoming guests by steamship who were then transported by horse and carriage to the property. Boats from Chicago would come down directly across the lake and then load, often without notice. Legend has it that there used to be a tunnel from the house down to the ravine by the pier, making it an easy access to the resort and very convenient for gangsters during the Prohibition era. So that's an interesting tidbit of history. Doesn't specifically claim Al Capone visited, but gangsters from the Chicago era apparently were said to have visited during that time. Another point in the article she talks about is the Hotel Sagatuck, which operated as the Twin Gables Hotel and Restaurant in the 1920s. And there was a vaudeville banjo player named Tom Carey who would often invite musician friends from Chicago 
to perform with him for the guests. Al Capone's gang frequently visited the joint to enjoy music, food, and company, and of course to peddle their liquor. Local lore speaks of a bullet hole in the wall of the bar made by one of Capone's men after another guest made a pass at his sweetheart who worked in the inn's kitchen. So there's an interesting tidbit with a connection to Al Capone. Then another point in the same article was about Frankfurt, Michigan. In Frankfurt, there is a property located at the corner of Main and 3rd Street called the Hotel Frankfurt that dates back to 1869. And it was a frequent hotel for overnight visitors and hungry tourists in this lakeshore town. It's said that Al Capone was known to stay there. And it was rumored that once there was a tunnel to run liquor from a house called the Winkler House, built by a man named Joe Winkler, to the hotel, and then on to another place called the Garden Theater in town. So at the time of this article, the current owners of the Winkler House were confident that there was evidence of a tunnel, but the owner of the hotel couldn't confirm that there, with any certainty that there was one, um, as the basement walls were so patched up in the hotel over the years that it was difficult to tell if there was evidence of a tunnel or not. So there's a possibility there was a tunnel there, and there's a possibility there wasn't one. And the final point that she mentions in this one was from an article that dated March 21st, 2015, which ran in the Daily Press newspaper in Escanaba, and it was written by a lifelong resident named Karen Rose Wills, and she stated that beneath the basement of the house of Ludington Hotel, tunnels and prohibition booze are still believed to be buried. Rumors claim that Al Capone once stayed in the front turret of the building. There was also a contrary point in this article that was written by another historian, and there was some attempts to dismiss the existence of a tunnel that was ever there, saying that the soil in the area was too sandy. But the historian did say that there was evidence that a man who was connected to Al Capone bought a hotel in 1939, six years after Prohibition ended, and ran the hotel until he died. So there was an Escanaba connection of sorts to Al Capone. Whether the earlier one with the tunnel story, that would have to be still more verification done on that, according to that historian. But I also found very interesting that there were some really unique little nuggets and tidbits in the comments of this article, which included other local lore around the state of Michigan concerning Al Capone by some of the people that were commenting, and I thought this was cool. So I'm going to read you uh, five of these comments that I found here. One of them was a mention of a place in Freeland, Michigan, where there had been three tunnels between hotels and buildings in that area that were reportedly used during the Prohibition era. The next point was somebody mentioned that they had a cousin that told them that his father would come to Michigan in the 1930s and play music for Al Capone. So that was an interesting tidbit there. Another one by a commenter on this article said that he used to live, or it was a woman, I think, used to live in the Winkler house. And she said that um, there was a lot of truth to the story of the tunnel. Now, whether that she had any firsthand knowledge of that, she didn't express any further, but that was interesting to see. The fourth note in this comment section was that there had been a hotel in downtown Nuevo that had been a place that Al Capone was known to visit, and it's since burned down. And then the final comment that had a really interesting tidbit was a man whose family was from Sagatuck, 
and that lived there during the 1920s, and they reported to have frequently seen Al Capone in town during those years. So he probably was sighted probably 1925 to maybe 1929, if they're talking about the 20s. Another interesting article I came across was written in the Traverse Magazine, and this ran on July 15, 2020, which covered some of Al Capone's history in the area. According to one man... It was known that Capone had hideaways in Boyne City, Petoskey, and Walloon Lake areas. He was also known to have hideouts in northern Michigan and Wisconsin. And in Leland, he had a hideaway consisting of a pair of large two-story cottages standing on a bluff overlooking Lake Michigan. And there was a 30-foot observation tower that overlooked the entire 10-acre compound. And old-timers would say that there was a machine gun nest mounted on the topmost platform of the tower to discourage trespassers. So that was a very interesting tidbit in that article. And then this final article that I found was a blog article written by WKFR 103.3 that ran on April 28th, 2021. And it discusses a legend in Constantine, Michigan, which had it that Al Capone owned a mansion called Purgatory and he used it as a place to relax when things got too heated in Chicago. Now, there's not much left of the mansion today except some ruins, and it's all overgrown. However, there were some urban explorers that posted a video on YouTube about their exploration of the site. And I watched the video, and there's a few curious-looking underground bunkers on the site not far from the ruins of the foundation of the old mansion. In the same article by WKFR, they talk about a house on Three Mile Lake in Pawpaw that was also once owned by Al Capone. Now, the current owners have renovated it, and it includes a manor and carriage houses, and is estimated today to be worth about a million dollars. I think they paid about 700000 for it about five or six years ago. So the renovation certainly paid off well for them, and it's a very interesting looking house. And you can find that online if you do a little searching to see what it looks like. But it had a turret and everything, and it's right on the lake. So another interesting story, which really clued me into really doing the investigation into this Al Capone history, was I was invited to a talk on local history by the staff of the Bedford Township office just about a little over a month ago at this point. I went and I spoke to a group of people, roughly about 40 of them, for about an hour, and I was covering stories about Bedford Township, and we had a great old time, and I had them laughing. We just had a good time just going over some of the local history that I found, and a lot of it they hadn't heard some of the some of the old timers knew some of it and after the talk you know of course people were coming up to me afterwards giving me all kinds of information and one woman came up to me and talked to me and told me the story of a house that's in level park in bedford township that used to do home tours as part of a home tour that was done in bedford and apparently it was one of al capone's hideaways during prohibition and it was known locally during that time period as the Rainbow House. And she didn't know how the name Rainbow House came into being, but the house is a private residence now. So I won't disclose what street it's on because I don't really want people going to hunt for it and disturbing the neighborhood. It's not a very big street. However, she described some of the stories that were told to her on the tour, which covered how the house was designed. And it's almost designed 
according to her, it was designed almost as if it was facing backwards from the road. There was a long driveway that looped around to the back of the house. And when you got back there, there were these open balconies and a pool and things like that set up. There was a second floor where Al Capone stayed. And of course, there was alcohol and all sorts of parties that went on during that time period. So I thought that was an interesting piece of local history. Now, there's probably several more locations around Michigan that I didn't uncover in my search and investigation. Al Capone was known to traffic alcohol between Detroit and Chicago, and I'm sure that he probably had safe houses all along the southern part, maybe as far as Jackson and Ann Arbor. And maybe all the way into Detroit, he probably had places there. Or maybe he had he only went halfway and they met. Maybe he didn't even go there personally. Maybe it was just his henchman that kind of went there. But it is known that he did frequently go up the western shoreline, it appears. And he did travel from, you know, there are places in Constantine, Battle Creek. And, of course, the other places that I mentioned in Hastings and other places around southwest Michigan that he did travel in. It's kind of an interesting little tidbit from the period of Prohibition and the time of Al Capone. So that's going to kind of conclude today's story on that. If you like today's episode, please be sure to leave me a review or comment. Tell people what you think about this podcast. It certainly helps me to get the podcast found more easily when people are searching for things to listen to on podcast apps if there's some reviews on it. So if you would be so kind as to take a minute and leave a, hopefully a very nice review, that would be nice, but um, helps me get the word out there about some of the Southwest Michigan history. And of course, if you'd like to find out more about me, you can visit michaeldelaware.com and uh, contact me through there if you'd like. Uh, I have a contact page there, but additionally, check out my YouTube channel. It's very easy to find. Just search Michael Delaware on YouTube and you'll come across my channel. And until next time, when we go down the road and explore some more Southwest Michigan history, thanks for coming along and joining me. And I will be here the next time you tune in. Thanks for listening.